Amen. Huh? I guess if that didn't really stir you up, there's something really wrong with you. <laughs> Man, good to be with you, third service. Uh, such an honor. I don't always get to share in this uh, gathering, so I kind of hang out at second, but awesome to be with you and uh, to share in this place. Um, we've been a family of three at my house for the last uh, couple of weeks. Um, two of our family members, my wife and my middle daughter, Brooklyn, uh, 15-year-old, uh, they are in, they are, they've been in Thailand and Cambodia uh, for the last couple of weeks um, on a mission trip. And uh, they've, been, they've been doing some pretty uh, intense work, and, and I can't really even talk about it a lot um, because uh, the nature of, of the work that they were doing. But I'll give you a little hint into it. I, um, some of you have probably been wondering what on earth is Pastor Bernie wearing on his wrist. Um, uh, before my daughter went on that trip, before Brooklyn went on that trip, she was raising some money for the organization that she was going with. It's called Destiny Rescue. And they're really a, a light in a very dark place, and that is to end human trafficking. And they work towards that end, and they go into very dark places where very unthinkable things are happening to the youngest of the youngest of the youngest. And so um, in order to help raise money for them, not herself, her mission trip, but actually to raise money for them, she was, you, for a donation, you could get these little things. These were made, um, there are other things that she had too, but this particular item was made uh, by a young man who had been rescued out of trafficking. And so I wear this in his honor, and while my family, leading up to the time that they left and, and now when, until they get back, I'll, I'll wear it just because it helps me to think about them and um, to honor the work that they're doing on behalf of the kingdom in that place. So uh, I know it looks, it looks interesting, so I thought I would share that with you, but um, I love what they're doing. Continue, if you would for, uh, pray for them, they get back uh, Monday night. And uh, pray for my kids who are left behind with me too, because they, 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 they're left behind with me. So, um, <laughs> so they have survived, all right? They've been fine. They're well fed. They're, they're still vertical, but we have a couple more days left. So remember them. Again, good to be with you. Um, let's pray one more time. We'll jump into what we're doing this morning. Father God, thank you for this time. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you call us into dark places to bring hope and light. And I pray, Father, that your spirit would move with us this morning, that you would have an impact not just on our heads, but on our hearts, that you might compel us to um, maybe find out just where it is we need to be and what we need to be doing to be light in a dark place. We thank you, Father. We pray these things in your mighty and awesome name. Amen. Amen. So um, at second service, we are going to, uh, we're kicking off a, a, a series called Relentless. And um, I, I'm not exactly sure how it's all going to work in, in terms of what first and third are going to do, but you're getting a little taste of it this morning. And uh, if you want to hear more of this series, I'll be doing it at second, and, and you, then you can stay for third, two, or however you do that stuff. Um, but anyway, we're, we're talking about leadership. And what I've become more and more convinced about, let me use a different word, a more, a more sig sig significant word, and that is convicted about, is that unless we have leaders and, and, and leaders that are, are um, developing leaders and leaders that are growing and becoming better leaders, um, we will not see the impact that God wants to see made in the culture and in the world in which you and I live. 
In other words, the, the church in our collective leadership capability is what God wants to leverage in the world so that his name becomes famous and so that his great works get accomplished. So that there's more light in this dark world until the great light of his glorious return bursts forth through the clouds. See, just because we know it's going to happen and just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't give us permission to ignore the reality of the world in which we live today. And so, in fact, we are called to step in. But that's primar that primarily happens as you and I as leaders capture a vision of what God wants us to do. So what we're talking about is, is leadership. And I'll be totally honest with you. You can go to the store and read all kinds of books on leadership. In fact, some of you are in positions of leadership. You work, uh, your occupation, your, what you do um, re demands that you know something about leadership. So you've read all the books. You've read John Maxwell. You've read all the, the great leadership gurus, Bill Hybels, all these guys. Um, you've, you've read them, right? You've read Good to Great. You've read all these great leadership books. Um, so you're wondering, well, how on earth can I contribute anything? And I wonder the same thing. Nevertheless, I feel compelled to talk about it to talk about leadership, particularly in the context of the local church, because I believe that it is absolutely vital. And we desperately need, we desperately need leaders. Um, and you'll, hopefully you'll grab a hold of that as we talk about it this morning. Now, I come to this, um, and I'll share with you just a little bit of a, of a story here. Um, in August, I will mark uh, 21 years in, in full-time pastoral ministry. That's, that's how long I've been a pastor. And um, it's, been, it's been awesome. But what you realize as a pastor is that there are things that, you, that, that, that members say to you. All right? There are things that members say to you, and some of those things are really good things and cool things. And then other things aren't so good, right? And you remember those things too. And all, you know, over the course of the years, um, what my what has been sort of my practice is to kind of forget both of those. I try not to remember the, the good things too much, and I try not to, definitely try not to remember the bad things. But then there are things that, are, that sort of hit you and strike you very deeply, that sort of strike a chord that, that someone may say to you, and it's, 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 it is truthful, and it comes, from, it comes from a place where you know God sort of meant you to hear that and to hear it well. And that's, that's kind of what happened to me, and that's what got me going on this whole idea of leadership. So I pastored a church out in Salt Lake City for almost eight years, and, and um, I was senior pastor there. And one of my leaders there is the one who said something to me that hit me uh, very deeply. And um, you have to understand a little bit about this church. Um, this was kind of the mothership church there in Salt Lake City. Had about 350, 400 members, which you know, about half of that attended, you know, in reality. That's what it is for churches. And, um, but it was full of high impact, very influential leaders. In fact, I took the, uh, took the church directory one time. And I, I, I just sort of went through it and I counted all the doctors, all the physicians in the church. And I stopped counting at 40, right? So at least 40, at least 40 uh, physicians were in that church. And there were probably more. And then there were other people. There were attorneys. There were judges. There were educators. There were lots of people with very, very uh, high-level leadership capacity. And they were involved in this church. And um, that's who I got to stand up and preach to every week. Yeah. And they actually stayed and listened. It was amazing. 
And so that's, you know, that was sort of the context. And I had one of these leaders, a younger one, and most of these leaders in this church were on the younger end. And this one wasn't terribly older than I am, just a few years older than me. And he came to me and he said this, uh, just kind of dead square, straight on to me, didn't put any sugar on at all. He just sort of looked at me and said, Bernie, you're not a leader. You're not a leader. He just sort of just laid it right out there for me. And, and I tell you what, folks, it took the, the almighty spirit of God to hold me back from hauling off and smacking him across his face. <laughs> That's transparency right there, okay? I, I really wanted to. Because here he is, he's telling me, hey, you're not a leader. Essentially, he's saying, look, you're, you know, you're not a very good pastor and you're certainly not a good leader. And, and that sort of, that really hit me. And that one stuck with me for a while and it stung for a bit. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a second, what is this guy talking about? Man, do you know, when I remember when I, when I was baptized into the Adventist church and I, I became, as a teenager, I became an Adventist and I stepped into this church. This church cultivated sort of this environment of leadership where if you were a young person, you could get involved and you could do stuff. And that was me, man. Every time the doors of the church were open, dude, I was in there. I was doing something. I was involved. I was, you know, sports, uh, whatever. I was there. And then they want the young people to be up front. Hey, I'll volunteer. I'll do that. We're going to go out and we're going to go collect cans door to door and do the Pathfinder and all this. I, I'm there. And I would take up leadership roles all throughout. You know, I go to Adventist school and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a leader on campus. I go to Adventist college and I become student, you know, government president and all my life I've been placed in these places to lead. And here this guy is telling me, I'm not a leader. But God was speaking through that leader. And here's what I believe God was telling me. God was saying, hey, this guy's wrong. <laughs> this guy didn't get it right. But this guy does raise an important point about you and your leadership. That's what God's telling me. This guy's not right because guess what? You are a leader. And the reality is every person sitting in this church, every person that receives Christ and becomes a Christ follower, you are, you are a leader. So I want you to do this right now for me, right? Real quick, turn to the person on your left and on the right and say, you're a leader. Right now, go. You're, you're a leader. With conviction, people, you're a leader. All right, so, all right. So, so that wasn't the problem. That wasn't the problem, but God was going to point out the problem, and he, he laid it on my heart to think this over and, and, and to grapple with it. He, this is what the issue was. God said, look, you're a leader. You're a leader, but you desperately need to understand something about who you are. The prerequisite, the prerequisite for becoming the leader God wants and needs you to be is humility. Is humility. It's not that you aren't a leader. The problem is with you is that you don't realize that you need to be developed more as the leader than I need you to become. And that, my friend, requires that you submit to and that you're humble enough to say, hey, I need to become a better leader. I need to be developed into the leader. I need to, be, I need to grow into the leader that God needs me to be. And that's what God was speaking through this elder and leader in my church because God knew something that you and I need to come to learn and understand is that God needs leaders who are growing and developing and becoming all that he needs us to be in this world 
And you can't just sort of sit there and you can't assume that because of all your experiences and all the things that you've done that you are the leader. You have arrived, that you have become the ultimate leader that God needs you to be. And what God was speaking to me that day is, look, you don't have a problem with being a leader. The issue with, it, with you is, do you have the humility to become the leader I need you to be now and into the future? So the one prerequisite, the one, there's actually two we're going to look at in just a second, but the one main prerequisite that you have to becoming the leader God wants you to be is humility. Can you be humble enough to submit to the God of the universe and say, yes, God, I need to grow, I need to develop, I need to become a better leader? Jesus hinted as, at, as such um, add as much when he said this in Matthew chapter 20 verse 26 he talks about this he says but among you it will be different whoever wants to be a great leader whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant Jesus talked about and he demonstrated to everyone around him this aspect of leadership this notion of humility so the prayer that you pray when you roll out of bed every morning is, and when you fall to your knees, should be, Lord, make me low, make me humble, make me teachable so that I can become the leader and the person that you need me to be. Because there's something great that you need to accomplish. There's a great mission that you have in mind for me, and I need to be developed into the person and the leader that you need to make me. And I want to be humble to that. And I want to be open to that. Here's the second thing. The second idea is this idea of maturity. To grow and to grow up. As Christians, we're, we're often wondering, you know, what, you know, what's going on with us? Are we becoming all that God needs us to be? Are we maturing as believers? And so scripture actually implies this idea. Paul, over in the book of Ephesians, talks about this idea of growing and developing. So the second prerequisite is that you and I are willing to also grow and develop and be mature as Christ followers. So Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 through 16 say this. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. That's, that's me, that's Pastor Barb, Pastor Jeff, all the leaders. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work. This is you as the leaders work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature. There the word in the Lord measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ verse 14 then we will no longer be immature so again Paul's talking about this idea of us growing up and becoming we won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching we will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth instead we will speak the truth in love growing in every way more and more like Christ we mature in the people who, who better reflect the character of Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together. The leaders work together perfectly. And then this is the last part, again, on our leadership. As each part does its own special work, God has a special work for you. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So there's this idea that there is humility that one must have. One must submit and be humble enough to be developed and to grow and to mature into the leader that God wants you to be. Because when you become the leader that God wants you to be and he needs you to be, and understand, you haven't arrived yet and you won't arrive 
The point here is progress in the right direction. Progress in the right direction. So God calls us to move and to submit to this leadership development. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. Organizations, in particular churches, are susceptible to becoming stuck in one place if indeed they do not have leaders who are constantly growing and moving and further developing the, the vision and the mission that God has in mind for them. We become stuck. We don't move. The church doesn't progress. And in fact, it's so true in the church that the theme song for most churches is this. It's found in your hymnal. I shall not be moved. And we sing it with gusto, with tears streaming down our faces. Come hell or high water, I ain't moving, baby. It's been this way for a long time. We're going to keep it this way. Even at the expense of the gospel and the mission going out into dark places. I'm not going to change. I'm not going to grow and develop. I'm not going to mature. Doggone it, I'm going to stomp my foot and take my ball and play in my own playground as long as I can. There's no way I'm going to move. There's no way I'm going to ever be able to become that leader because, man, I'm right here. I'm not moving. We are all susceptible. Every organization is susceptible to staying in the right place, the comfortable place, the place where, where I, I feel the most comfortable and people aren't messing with this. Is, this is where I want to be right here. This is nice. This is easy. This is routine. This is where I'm going to stay. But in order for God's work to continue and for God's work to move, in order for us to be the people that make his name famous. To be light in dark places. To rescue broken people. It demands that we submit to growing. It demands that we develop as leaders. We must be compelled to become the leaders that God needs us to be in this day and age. But often we get stuck. So I convinced my wife, um, this is very early in our marriage, we had one kid, and um, it was very early, and I convinced my wife that I needed to have a Jeep, because Jeeps are cool, and, and I wanted to be cool, and I wanted to have a Jeep, so I, I convinced her to let me buy a Jeep, and the other thing I had in my mind is that we would, we would spend Sabbath afternoons, we would go out into the woods, and like after a big rain, and into the mud, and that, that Jeep would have four-wheel drive, and I could go through all the mud, and I was just like a big kid, right? And, and that's what I convinced my wife to do. And so we had this Jeep. And sure enough, you know, when it would rain and so forth, we'd go out there. And I remember one time we went out, and it was after a big rain, lots of puddles, lots of mud, and I'm going through, and I got it in four-wheel drive. We're just having a great time bouncing around in this really kind of rinky-dink little Jeep that I had. And then I went through this one big puddle, and my wife was telling me, dude, I don't, I don't know if you're going to make it through that. Sure enough, I knew I could make it through, Right? But you know what happens. You get stuck. You pull through there and the tires begin to spin and you're making a big old mess and you cannot move. You cannot go anywhere. You're just stuck. Wife and baby in your silly little Jeep. And you cannot move. And you get out and try as hard as you can. Try as hard as you may. You cannot get this silly Jeep unstuck and you're just stuck. And it's a really defeated sort of place to be, isn't it? And then, to add insult to injury, you can't get it unstuck and you have to call somebody else to come and pull you out. 
That's a bad deal. Here's the thing. God doesn't want to have to make special arrangements to pull his church out of the stuck place that they're in. God isn't interested in a church that is always sort of spinning its wheels, staying in one place, protecting the, the same sort of place all the time at any expense. We will not change. We will not move. But God does say this. I will step into the lives of leaders who are humble and willing to be transformed and changed and developed into the leaders I need them to be, and I will get that church unstuck. I will move that church into the direction that it needs to be. I don't want to have to take the, the, the sort of the ultimate insult of having to create some sort of scenario where I have to go and yank that church out of the stuck place it's in. It's not beyond God to do that. But he would prefer that as leaders we humble ourselves and come before him and we allow him to change us and develop us into the people he needs us to be so that we can move out and make the difference that we need to make. So the whole series is called Relentless. And the idea is you and I become these relentless people, these relentless leaders who are pursuing this development by God. With humility, we look to God and we beg God, change us, transform us, help us to become the leaders we need to be so that we can do the work that you need us to do in the culture and in the world today. So the classic leadership story in all the Bible, you know what it is. If you've been around church, if you read uh, your Bible much at all, then you know that Nehemiah, Nehemiah is kind of the classic leadership story in all the Bible. Uh, a little bit about Nehemiah. He is part of the personal security detail uh, for King Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes is a Persian emperor. He has a vast kingdom. He's a very powerful man. He has Nehemiah, who is actually Jewish, as part of his security detail. I kind of make Nehemiah out to be um, one of those cool Secret Service guys like you see around President Obama or other presidents. People who have Secret Service, uh, he has the sunglasses and got the little squiggly thing on the ear. That's what Nehemiah is, all right? Nehemiah kind of has that job. He's, he's in close proximity to the king. Now, it's kind of interesting that this would be Nehemiah's job um, apparently, Artaxerxes had a problem with rebellions in his kingdom from different groups that he had conquered. And so, in order to sort of help uh, build some alliances, he would actually go and, and create relationships and begin to build alliances with some of the groups in his kingdom. One of those groups were the Jews that he had conquered. So, Nehemiah is Jewish, and he had, uh, Artaxerxes had brought uh, Nehemiah into his, uh, into his kingdom, into a place of leadership. And this is where Nehemiah has risen up to the place where he has access to the king. In fact, um, what Nehemiah becomes is what he, he calls himself. He, t he tells us his title later in, the, in chapter 1 of Nehemiah. He says, I was cupbearer to the king. I was the king's cupbearer. Now, the cupbearer had a very interesting job. Cupbearer was um, the guy who... Um, who would actually sort of taste uh, the wine and the food that the king would have. It wasn't uncommon in ancient times for someone to attempt to take out an emperor or a king by poisoning their food. So this was Nehemiah's job. Imagine if this was 
your job, right? So the food tray comes in for the king. It's all decked out, got everything there. And Nehemiah, before the king can lay his hands on it, Nehemiah has to step right in there and take a sip out of the cup. And everybody's watching Nehemiah, right? Because if Nehemiah croaks, <laughs> the king's going to change his menu real quick, right? That's, that's Nehemiah's job. He is cupbearer to the king. But it's even more than that. His job was quite influential and quite significant. He also had charge over the king's signet ring. It's also believed that in ancient times, if you were the cupbearer, you knew a lot about the financial status of the king. And in fact, you could influence where funds were used and where funds would go. So it's not a low-level position. It's actually a, a very big position that Nehemiah has. And I want you to listen to Nehemiah's story because we pick up his story when as he's serving the king in the king's uh, realm there, he gets news of something that's going on with his people, the Jews. He realizes, uh, he, he receives news that something quite terrible has happened to them. So we pick up the story in chapter 1 of Nehemiah, verses 3 through 5. Listen to this. They said to me, these are a couple of his friends that came from the province of Judah, came from Jerusalem. They're going to give him a report. They said to me, Things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Now notice his reaction once he hears this. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. And then I said, he continues with his prayer, this is just the first little bit of his prayer. I want you to hear this. O oh Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Two things I want you to hear, just as you think about Nehemiah and his heart, as he gets this news about the people he loves, about the city he loves, about, about the place that he calls home, the place is near and dearer to his heart, and the decimation that it has suffered. Notice what he says. He begins to pray. He just begins to seek God out. Notice the two things that emerge. Remember we talked about humility and maturity. Nehemiah is a guy, he's a leader who is going that direction. He says, Lord God Almighty, you're awesome. That's a very humble thing to say. Said, God, you are high and lifted up. I am down here. I am below you. Lord, even though I have a very influential spot in this kingdom, even though I got a corner office and it's right around the, the corner from the king, uh, I, you are high and lifted up. You see, Nehemiah understands his place. He's a humble guy. But he's also quite mature. Because immature leaders are often reactionary. And they want to act and they want to do things without thinking about it carefully and without seeking God's wisdom. So he doesn't do that. But in fact, he slows down and he stops and he pauses and he weeps and he mourns over what is going on over here. And his heart is broken over the fact that his people are decimated and everything is in disarray. About 140 years prior to this, King Nebuchadnezzar had come through. He's a Babylonian king. He had come through and just wiped the place out. And they haven't recovered from that. And his heart is just broken over it. But you see those key indicators of a leader. He's humble and he seeks God. And he's mature. 
Notice what happens. Notice what happens. As, 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 as Nehemiah begins to step into this place where he recognizes that God is sort of breaking him up, breaking his heart over this thing, and Nehemiah begins to realize that maybe, in fact, this is my call. This is what I'm supposed to do. Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Listen to this. Early the following spring in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. He's a cupbearer, remember? Always right there in close proximity to the king. I had never before it appeared sad in his presence. In fact, it's, it's believed that in ancient times that if, in fact, you didn't sort of present a more cheery and joyful disposition, that the king could actually have you executed. So it was unusual, and it was unusual for Nehemiah to go before the king and actually sort of demonstrate the sadness that was in his heart. And the king notices, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You're not sick, Nehemiah. Something else is wrong. You must be deeply troubled. Deeply troubled. Don't miss that, man. Don't miss what's going on in the heart of Nehemiah. Can you think of something right now that, that isn't right in the world that deeply troubles you? What disturbs your sleep? What disturbs your heart? What breaks your heart? What messes you up? That you sometimes, when it's, when it's still and when it's quiet, you hear, you kind of, God sort of speaks to you. Hey, that's not right. You should probably think about doing something about that. That's not right. That's not right. And it just messes you up. I was telling you about Brooklyn and my wife, Christina. They're, they're out uh, on this trip. And um, the way this whole thing got started is my daughter went to a, a leadership conference called Catalyst. Uh, it's every October we take a group up there. And I've started to take my daughters with me because I want them to just sort of experience that and think about leadership. And they're walk she was walking around one of the booths there. This is where all this came from, going on this trip. And she went into this one booth that was a kind of a replica of a brothel that you would find in some country where human trafficking uh, of children is very prominent. And she sort of went into that booth and experienced that, and it sort of messed her up. It really did mess her up. And when, when your kids get messed up about something, something that they can do in the world, you can count on a couple of things. Number one, it's going to cost you a lot of money. <laughs> and number two, the reality is it's going to disrupt your world just as much as it disrupts theirs. But it's a good thing. And so in those quiet moments for Brooklyn, God was saying to her, go be a light in a dark place. Go over there. Go do this. Go, go be in that place. Go bring some kind of comfort to these children there that are suffering unimaginable, ugly stuff. Go there. Go see what you can do to influence something for the good. Go be a leader. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Uh, Nehemiah's heart was messed up over this whole thing. He's just broken over it. But he doesn't, it doesn't end there. He doesn't stop with just being sincerely uh, broken up over it. He realizes that he must do something. The most significant asset that he has as a leader, and really it is the definition of leadership, is that he has influence at the highest levels. 
He has influence at the highest level. That's the definition of leadership, really, right? Is influence. And the question becomes, for you as a leader, for me as a leader, do I begin to leverage the influence that I have in the culture and in the world, in my workplace, wherever I am, for the kingdom of God so that light and goodness and restoration and hope can go to dark places? That becomes the question. Leadership is ultimately Influence. Now, I want to illustrate this visually for you, and I want you to see this because I, I want you to just hang with me. Um, but I need a volunteer. I need somebody to kind of come up here with me. I had great volunteers. The young man right there. Come here. Yeah, yeah, come on. Hustle, hustle. I love getting kids up here, and uh, he didn't hesitate. The other thing is adults, leaders don't hesitate. No, kidding. Um, so come on up, buddy. Good to see you. What's your name? Samuel. Samuel. All right, just hang out right here. So here's the thing that I believe. Um, when you received Christ, became a Christian and a Christ follower, uh, you probably made the decision to go and be baptized in a pool that looks like that. That was your first immersion. We call it baptism by immersion, where we take you and we put you under the water and bring you back up. But there was something else going on. There was another immersion. I call it the second immersion. That was the invisible immersion that was happening uh, on the inside of you, where God's spirit uh, became, uh, filled you up, and you were given gifts and God's spirit dwells in you to help you grow and develop and to become the person that God wants you to be. That's the second immersion. We call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But here's the third immersion. Here's the third immersion. It's when God, sorry, I'm going to move you over here. Right there, Sammy. The third immersion is when you're sort of dunked in this pool of influence. It's a result of the spirit of God working in you. You go into this this pool of influence and all your gifts and all, your, all of who you are, you're in that pool and you come out an influencer. You may, this is probably what it looks like, a little bit of influence, you become a Christian, you become a Christ follower and that's kind of what happens with you. But here's the thing, remember what I said, if we're humble and if we're committed to growing and becoming mature in Christ, something begins to happen. God begins to move in very big ways. So Sammy, watch what happens here. God by his spirit begins to pour into us and more influence, more and bigger influence begins to happen. Whoa, what's going on there Sammy? Yeah, more and bigger influence begins to happen. Yeah, what are you going to do about that there, Sammy? <laughs> huh? So you began to realize that as a leader with influence in this world, you begin to step into the messes that are created. But you don't just stop. You don't just stop. Keep going, keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your influence spills over into the lives of others and they begin to join you in taking care of the message and the junk that goes on in this world. And you see Sammy there, both arms full. His influence grows and he begins to help make a difference in the world. And without hesitation, you begin to go to work through the empowering of the Spirit to be light in dark places to be a good influence and a positive influence where there is darkness and where there is no life. You become life and light in that place. So what's your responsibility as a Christ follower and a person who is committed 
this will not do it. This is not enough. It's true that God, God baptizes you and your, his spirit begins to live within you and, it's, it's, and you have some influence, but he doesn't do that just so you can sit on your influence and not use it for the benefit of making his name famous and making a difference in the world. He says, by my spirit, I'm going to pour into you. And as I overflow out of you, that influence spreads to young people. Thank you, Sam. You can go back and sit down. His... His influence spreads and it infects and impacts other people. It may be that the God of the universe, in those quiet moments, when it's still, when the cell phone is off, when the kids are quiet, when all the distractions have been laid aside, and the God of the universe speaks into your life, he's saying, there's a dark corner over there You are the leader that I've placed my influence in. I need you to grow and to develop and to become a better leader. I need you to to understand in humility that it's not enough for you just to be a leader. You must be developed and you must grow. You must mature and you must become all that I need you to be in the world. Because there's something over here that breaks the heart of God. And you know it breaks your heart too. It messes you up. And God's saying, why don't you, why don't you get involved in it? Why don't you get engaged in it? And here's the cool thing about it. Listen to this. When God breaks your heart, he doesn't just leave you brokenhearted. He doesn't just compel you to go out and move. Notice what God says in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, the first part of this verse. He says this, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth. Listen to this, leaders, all of your leaders. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. So when your heart breaks over some darkness in this world, And you're compelled to move. You're compelled to engage. You're compelled to use every resource at your disposal to become the leader that can turn back that darkness. You need to know that the God of the universe is with you. You don't do it alone. And he understands your brokenness over it. He understands why this messes you up, man. So I got a couple of questions that you have to think about here in this next week. And I want you just to sort of meditate on these now. What is the thing that breaks your heart, man? What is the thing that breaks your heart? Is there something that in those quiet moments when, when things are, you know, when there's no chaos and I know and you're not busy and I know that's, those moments are few and far between, but maybe it's a Sabbath afternoon when things are calm. Is there something that breaks your heart? Is there something that God is telling you to do but you've been too afraid or too preoccupied to do it? How can you begin to leverage your influence in this next week, in the next month, in the next year to begin to address something in this world that breaks your heart and breaks the heart of God? What about your influence? What are you going to do to become a better influencer, a better leader? Those are the questions I want, you to, want us to think about. Now, we've been finishing the bridge um, with a charge and a blessing And uh, I'm going to do that right now. Um, I want to encourage you to just follow along with me. Um, I've made all the other services stand. You guys want to stand too? I'll make you stand too. Um, And just as we go forth and as we leave this place, I want you to hear this charge. And 
You'll already be standing for the closing song, so this is good. But just say these words with me. I think they're pretty important. I think they tie in well as we leave this place thinking about how God wants to use us. Go forth into the world. Say it with me. In peace and love. Proclaim the good news. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Return no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. Honor all people. Love and serve the Lord. Rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Amen.